Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If we haven't met, my name is Dominic, one of the pastor elders here. Ephesians 5. Before we get into uh, the word today, I just want to give a brief update on Reality Honolulu. Um, if you don't know, we are uh, part of a family of nine different churches. And so every time I'm preaching for the next several weeks, and I've done it for the last several weeks leading up to this, just giving a brief update on the different reality churches. And our most recent church plant was Reality Honolulu about two and a half years ago. And yes, woo! Riz and Zoe Hilner uh, were called there for years before we planted that church. And Riz sent us a little note um, by way of update. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll pray for them. He said, as we look back at the two and a half years of the church, we are humbled and truly blown away by all that God has done. It has been incredible to see a new faith ohana, it means family in Hawaiian, form and the rich community and the church has, be, has become in such a short time. And it's true, man. There's such a, I was just there in November with my wife and it was such a, a beautiful thing God's doing there. It truly is a family, literally as well, in that as of right now, we have about 200 adults and 100 kids and youth coming. <laughs> Two to one ratio, which is crazy. This year, we are concentrating and praying towards how specifically we can minister and do local outreach here in Hawaii as we are continuing to be educated and learn the complexities of cultures here. If you know anything about Hawaii, you know uh, that's, a real, that's a real thing. We as a church desire to be a source of renewal and reconciliation amongst all peoples here, and all that we do is in pursuit of this. Mahalo for praying for us. Aloha. Riz. So as we pray for our time in the Word right now, I'm also going to pray for Reality Honolulu, if you would pray with me. Lord, thank you for your kingdom family all across the world. We recognize that um, the Reality Churches are just a small expression of your church worldwide, but we are thankful for the unique expression that we are able to have in reflecting you to the world. Thank you for the unique expression that Reality Honolulu has in reflecting you, exposing you to that community there. Thank you for all you have done. We ask for more, Lord. We know anytime you are planting churches, places, it's because you're already moving there. We're not starting something. We're just joining in with what you're doing. So we say yes and amen to that. We ask that you would save many people, that people would be drawn into your kingdom, Ohana. People would be drawn into your family, Lord, in Honolulu, across that island of Oahu and all the Hawaiian islands. We ask that um, in our time in the word right now, you would speak to each one of us as only you can. We open up our ears and our hearts to receive from you. Lord, I want to communicate your heart and your mind, your words rightly, so I ask that you'd anoint me to speak in a way that is in sync with who you are and what you want to say to us. We ask that you would do it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, does anybody have the time really quick? 11.02. Okay, 11.02. Thank you. Uh, in 1748, Benjamin Franklin, he wrote this essay, um, and from it is where we've gotten this phrase, uh, time is money. And he wrote to young um, 
men who were coming into the workforce, and his intention was to help communicate to them how to be proactive with their time. And he simply said, uh, you can either use your time to make money, or you can use that same time to sit idly in, so, in doing so, lose money, is essentially what he was saying, and hence the, the phrase, time is money. It's 11.02 right now. Uh, we'll be done around 12, okay? Started at 10.30. So by the time we're done, you will have been in here for 90 minutes. Some of you quite a bit less. I saw when you came in. <laughs> but 5,400 5, minutes. I mean seconds. 5,400 seconds. 90 minutes, 5,400 seconds if you were here on time. 5,400 seconds. And as we've been in here, we've already used some of them, right? And if you're looking at like a stopwatch, you're literally seeing the seconds count down. And as they do, they're gone. Literally can feel like time is slipping away. Which can, like right now, I can have anxiety. I'm like, there it goes, five more seconds. It's just gone. It never comes back. We never get it again, right? And it can feel like we are out of, uh, we, we don't have control over it. And we don't. We we, uh, we can't prevent the seconds from counting down, but at the expense of sounding cheesy, we can make every second count. And when Benjamin Franklin said that, time isn't actually money, that's not true, but the bigger, the bigger point remains, and it's this, that uh, while time may not be money, it does have a value on it. Time is valuable, and every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, um, there's actually a price tag on our time and an expiration date. In our passage today that we're going to read in Ephesians 5, Paul is urgently exhorting this church, you'll see in a second, to stop wasting time. And he couches it in the context of the previous passages where um, he's reminding his readers, hey, you guys aren't darkness anymore, you're light. And so live like it. Live like your children of the light. And on the heels of this really strong declaration to live out of our identity, like be who you already are, he's saying. In, in light of that and on the heels of that, uh, he says in our passage today, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See then that you walk circumspectly. This first phrase is actually really important. There's three different parts to it, and uh, it's critical that we get it if we're going to understand the rest of the passage. The three parts are see then, walk circumspectly. See then literally means watch. Some of your translations watch. It says watch, and it has this urgency attached to it. It's like, hey, watch. Hey, look, look, look. It's like that, right? Watch that you walk, literally live. Some of your translations say live. Watch that you live, how? Circumspectly. Circumspectly means very, very, very carefully. It signifies something that is done accurately, precisely, and after much close attention has been given. It's like be cautious with the way you live. Be careful how you live. But when the cautiousness of this word is combined with the intensity of the first word watch, uh, it's clear that it's not just important, but it is urgent. If we paraphrase this first phrase of verse 15 here, it would read like this. It is critical 
that you urgently give much attention to how you live. The passage continues on in verse 15 to explain it a little bit, not as fools, but as wise. In light of the previous verses, uh, this makes sense, right? He's talking about all this stuff. Don't live in sexual immorality. Don't use your words to do this. Don't be greedy. Don't be idolaters. He's like, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. Don't, don't live like that. But, but be wise. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. What else does wisdom look like? Redeeming the time. What is the time? The time is what he's talking about. He's talking about this moment, right now. Seize the day. The New Living Translation says, make the most of every opportunity. Why? He tells us when he goes on here, because the days are evil. And when Paul says the days are evil, um, what he's talking about, he's talking about this present evil age is what he calls it in Galatians 1.4. He's saying like the days we live in, the days we live in are evil. That was, that was 2,000 years ago. It's all the more true right now. And the reason he, he, uh, he says this, uh, that the days are evil, is because Satan has been given a certain level of authority on this earth. Um, the days are under the control of what the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air. And Satan doesn't have all control, but until Jesus returns, he does have some authority. It's like, it's like this. There, he's, Paul's saying there's a war going on right now. The darkness is advancing kingdom of darkness is advancing. The days are evil, but King Jesus, the king of light, is on the move. So like, let's go. Stop, stop wasting time. Redeem the time. He continues in verse 17, the end of our passage. Therefore, do not be unwise. Because the days are evil, do not be unwise, but rather understand what the will of the Lord is. So in verse 15, the uh, opposite, the antithesis of um, wisdom is foolishness, right? The antithesis of foolishness is wisdom. But here, the opposite of foolishness is not wisdom, although that's also true. It is understanding what the will of the Lord is. The opposite of being a fool is understanding what the will of the Lord is. I'll say it like this. Living in wisdom is us discovering, knowing, and walking in the already wise plan of God. Living in wisdom is us discovering, knowing, and walking in the already wise plan of God. What is God's already wise plan? What is his already wise will? Well, sometimes when we hear the phrase like the will of God, we're like, yeah, God, what's your will for my life? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about who you're supposed to marry or if you're supposed to move to Idaho, which I'm sorry, Idaho, for inheriting all of our people right now. This isn't talking about God's personal life or personal will for your life or his will for your personal life. He's, he's talking about God's eternal and everlasting will to redeem humanity. It's much bigger than our personal lives and it's much more eternal. Um, and we know that this is what he's talking about because in Ephesians 1 and 3, earlier in this book, God's will is clearly to redeem a multi-ethnic multitude of people into his kingdom family. And that when those people come into his family, that they are sanctified to be made to look more like Jesus. 
You see this elsewhere, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So it's God's will to save people. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. It is God's will that his people be sanctified and be made to look more like Jesus. So simply put, God's will here, when it says don't be foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is, God's will is that people would be saved and sanctified. Simply put. And some of that's like, yeah, dude, no, duh. Like what? Yes, of course that's God's will. Why would Paul write this in here? Like doesn't everybody know this? Yeah, maybe. He's not writing it to like repeat himself. He's not writing to say, I want you to know this. He's saying, I I know you probably know this, but it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to appropriate it to your life. Right? Like, we know that it's God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. However, he just wrote in these previous verses, now do it. Right? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to actually not practice sexual immorality. The will of God is to save a whole lot of people. Like, a lot of people. Like, revival kind of crazy great awakening kind of status. And it's like... Yeah, dude, no doubt. We know this. Okay. Now appropriate it to your life. How? Redeem the time. Use the time for that. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Don't just understand that it is God's will to save a lot of people. Do something about it, is what he's saying. If I was to carefully paraphrase this passage into modern-day vernacular, it would read something like this. It is imperative that you urgently give much attention to how you live. You're not a fool stumbling around in the darkness anymore. You are wise, filled with the light of Christ. So live like it. Fill the dark world around you with the light that is in you. It is critical that you stop messing around and stop wasting time. Instead, make intentional and eternal use of every minute of your life, no matter the cost. With just a quick read, it can seem like this passage is kind of just reiterating what was already said in the previous verses. But Paul isn't repeating himself here. He's actually introducing um, new and significant language in that verse in verse 16, which is where I want to spend some time. When he says, redeem, redeem the time. Redeem the time. I think this is a word for us. Redeem the time because the days are evil. This phrase, um, the time, like I alluded to earlier, it's not talking about seconds and minutes. It's talking about uh, like now is the time, like this moment in history. However, you cannot redeem this moment in history unless you redeem the minutes and seconds. And in some ways, for many of us, this is the dilemma. If we can like get this, then every all the verses around it, all the commands around it actually kind of start to fall into place. For many of us, our time actually is the problem. And under the unction of the Holy Spirit, Paul doesn't just say, so use your time wisely. He says, redeem the time. You may or may not know, but uh, the word redeem, it means to buy back. It means to purchase the recovery of something that was previously yours. Like, you Build a car from the ground up. Put your labor into it. You make all the parts, okay, if that was even a possibility. And then you lose it and somebody else finds it 
and you're, you, you find out they have it, and you're like, hey, that's my car. And they're like, no, it's not. And you got to pay for it to get it back. That's redemption. It was already yours, but you got to pay for it to get it back. This is why scripture says that we were redeemed, because God made us. And then we were separated from him by sin. And so Jesus had to come give his life. That was the payment to purchase us back to God. But in scripture, redemption doesn't stop at the the buying back, the recovery. Because when God redeems, he actually also restores. So restoration is always part of the redemption process with God. And this is important. Stay with me. When we are redeemed, God begins to restore us and every part of our lives. Amen? This is part of what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is getting at when it says, If anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. All the old things have passed away, and behold, everything is made brand new. He's not talking about, oh, God creates an entirely new thing that he had no idea he could create before. He's saying, I'm making a dead thing back to life. I'm restoring it to its original purpose. This is restoration. God had an original plan for everything in humanity and every part of us. What made it, uh, and it was good. It was good. When, when God, God made us, he had a plan for it. He said, it's good. What, what, Uh, takes away the goodness or what pollutes the goodness is sin and the devil. Sin and the devil hijack that purpose and pollute it. But restoration means that God restores things back to how they were originally intended so that they are good once again. The beginning of Ephesians 5 that we spent the last several weeks in reminds us that sin and the devil hijacked, for instance, sexuality. But God created it as beautiful and good. And so when Jesus redeems us, he actually restores our broken sexuality and makes it beautiful and good again. Ephesians chapter 5 at the beginning reminds us that sin and the devil hijacked our affections, the affections of humanity. And so humanity began to worship false gods instead of the God. But when Jesus redeems us, he actually begins to restore our affections and turn it into worship, which is what our affections were intended for. The beginning of Ephesians 5 reminds us that sin and the devil hijacked the purpose of words. But when Jesus redeems us, he restores our words so that they can be used for their original life-giving intention. The whole section of scripture leading up to our passage today reminds us that when we are redeemed, God begins to restore everything about our lives back to the purpose for which it was originally intended which means that when we are redeemed, everything in our lives becomes not only valuable, but sacred. God has redeemed our sexuality, our money, our words, our worship, next week, alcohol. They have a new sacred purpose. And God has redeemed our time. It has a new sacred purpose. When you were redeemed by Jesus, he redeemed every second of your life. And when he did that, he began to restore the purpose of those seconds in your life. But like everything in life, we have a choice if we're going to participate in that or not. And Whenever you read a command like this in Scripture, you need to read it like this. God redeemed this part of your life. He has restored its purpose back to its original intent. 
Therefore, here's the command, live like it. Live like it. Your sexuality has a new sacred purpose, so live like it. Don't live in sexual immorality. Your words have a new sacred purpose, so live like it. Use your words to stir up people's affections for Jesus. Your uh, affections have a new sacred purpose, so live like it. Don't give your affections to things like greed and money. Give them to Jesus. Your time has a new sacred purpose, he is telling us. So live like it. That's what it means to redeem the time. There's two key things that I want to point out here about redeem the time. First of all, if redeem means to buy back and we're redeeming the time, then the question is who or what are we redeeming it from? Because by the nature of redemption, something else has that thing that you need to redeem. Jesus redeemed our time, yes, but then he gives us stewardship over it. So if we need to uh, partner with that redemption, that means that like we need to be redeeming the time. Who's got it currently then? Who's currently got our time? It's like our bodies in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. It says, your body is not your own. Your body is not your own. You were bought at a price. Yeah, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus redeemed your body, okay? But then it says, next phrase, therefore, you glorify God in your body because God has given you stewardship over that body that he has redeemed. Jesus has redeemed your time, but he has given you stewardship over it, which means that we have a responsibility for how it's gonna be used. And we're responsible to take it back if it's being used for purposes other than what God intended it. Question has to be who or what currently has time. Have you ever used this screen time app on your iPhone? If you don't know about it, don't look at it. If you ever want to feel like you wasted your life, look at this screen time app. I'm just going to, this is mine from this week, okay? Thankfully, it's not as humiliating as it could be this week. But, uh, I use my phone on average four hours and 15 minutes this week, okay? It says social networking right below that. I don't even have Instagram or Facebook or any social media apps on my phone. It's talking about, uh, I think, my messages and my mail app and phone, anything I'm, like, socializing with people. You can't see it, but messages right there, I spent eight hours and 31 minutes receiving and sending text messages this week. This records how you spent your time on your phone. Now, a lot of this was productive. It was like stuff I had to do. It was work stuff. We all use our phones in ways like that, or some of us use our phones in ways like that. Uh, so I'm not, it wasn't all necessarily like vain, but man, it is like exposing, right? What if we had an app like this for our lives that calculated and categorized how much time we spent in different areas of our lives? And we gave a category to, like, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime, okay? And then we gave a category to, like, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. There was a category for your hobbies. There was a category for work and time. That would be a, that's a big time taker, right? Parents, there was a category for your children's activities. That's, like, for some of us, dude, listen... Listen. 
For some of you, your children's activities have began to dictate the rhythm of your entire family. And it's not their fault. It's your fault. There is a fine line between like our wanting our kids to be involved in good stuff and that good stuff changing the priorities in our family. Our kids are dictating then what we value most in our family. And we are reorienting our entire families around their activities. Their activities actually need to fit into what we have predetermined to be the most valuable things in our family. That's the way it ought to be. Sorry, that's a different sermon. But you have a, right, kids' activities. Where does that go on the thing? But then what about like quiet time with God? Does that make it on the list? There's other things on this list. You can't even see them. I just didn't spend enough time on them for them to get up there. Like my Bible app is not in the top four. Granted, I read my physical Bible this week, but still, like, there, there are, does quiet time even, like, make it up there? What about intentional time invested with specific individuals, family or otherwise? What about time where you're, like, caring for your, your physical, mental, emotional well-being that's actually going to stir up productivity and health? Is there even, like, a category for that? What about making disciples? I mean, that's the Great Commission, right? What about Sabbath rest? According to Scripture, there should be a 24 hours a week on our like, list. Think about it. My point is think about it. Like, where, what, what would your app look like? What would my app look like? Do I even want to see that app? What would it look like if we are to redeem the time? Then that means that something currently has our time. What currently has our time, and do we need to get it back for other purposes? I think what it would look like to redeem the time, first of all, I don't think it would look like Amazon, Netflix, and Hulu being at the top of our, our list. Sure. But if I could sum it up, I would say something like this. To redeem the time means that under the leading of the Holy Spirit, you utilize your time in a way that brings glory to God, partners with his purposes, and fuels the worship and enjoyment of him for yourself and others. You pursue divine things, even if it's at the expense of what might be good things. That's what I think redeeming the time looks like. And some of that, some of this stuff is actually, uh, might be surprising to some of you, like, Putting your hands to work in a way that brings you joy is actually biblical. That actually glorifies God. Ecclesiastes says, God has put it into the heart of man to enjoy the work of his hands. Where it becomes a problem is when you begin to get your identity from that work, like you can't live without it. Or you're working solely for the purpose of getting more. That's where it becomes a problem. A a walk in nature can actually stir up your affections to worship God. Right? Some of this might be unsurprising. Listen, uh, Avengers Endgame, where Iron Man gives up his life to save all of humanity, that's the gospel. That's literally the gospel. This can stir your affections toward Jesus. I'm not saying that you need to be a monk and, and pray in isolation 24-7. But I'm also not saying that a little bit more monk-like prayer wouldn't hurt us. Right? The question is, 
does that thing, whatever it is, think of the thing you spend your time on, does it somehow encourage the worship and enjoyment of God for me or others? There are times when I sit down and I watch a movie and it encourages my soul, like legit. It may not even have anything to do with God, but it reminds me who I am. It reminds me of my purpose in earth. It maybe reminds me of the brokenness of humanity. It stirs me up to partner with the purposes of God. But there are other times when I watch a movie and it is a straight up prostitution of my time. You know what it means to prostitute something? It means to, to offer it for something other than what God intended it for. When we offer our time to be used up by things that have no eternal value, we allow our time to become a prostitute. And I don't want to prostitute my time, man. I want to employ it. You know, I want to like put it to work. Again, I'm not saying that you need to become a monk or a missionary to the nations. But there's a lot of things that are just like okay in our lives that are not beneficial for us that we invest so much time in. And as, as a father, God says to us, like, dude, I gave you time. You only got a little bit. I gave you time. I don't want to see you wasting it because I know what that does to you. It's polluting you. That's polluting you. It's like it's taking you away from me. It's taking you away from my intended purpose for you. I'm a father. I love you. I only gave you so much. Use it. You're not going to get any more. Use it. So what it's going to look like for us to take back the time, man, it means that we got to like take it from something that's got it, right? That's the first thing. What's got it? We might have to take it back. The second thing is that this is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. If we're going to redeem the time, there's going to be a cost involved because redemption always costs something. Our redemption costs Jesus his life. There is going to be a sacrifice if we are going to redeem the time. What that means practically is that you're going to have to sacrifice some time that you're given to something else in order to take it back and utilize it for the purposes of God. You don't get more. You can't create more time. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. Maybe you might even have to give up some quote-unquote good things. They're fine. It's not sin. It's fine. In order to pursue the divine things. And that's got to be the question, right? What are the divine things? And I'm going to be honest, man. We need the Holy Spirit to show us. We need to say, like, Lord, would you show me? Would you show me what the divine things are? Would you fill me with your spirit? And give me a little check in my heart when I go to do something. And it's like, ah, I don't think this was the best investment in time. You ever got done, like, watching TV for four hours, and you're like, what did I just do with my life? Right? That's the, that's the Holy Spirit being like, what did you just do with your life? And that's good. Listen to that conviction. Because the next time you're going to be halfway through that four-hour binge and be like, what am I doing with my life? Which means the next time you're going to sit down to turn on the TV and be like, wait, I don't want to waste the next four hours of my life. We need the Holy Spirit to do this, right? It's like, Lord, show me. Here's a sobering thought. Psalm 139 says that uh, each of us have been given a certain amount of days. God has filled the bank account of your life with currency, except the currency isn't dollars, it's days. And unlike money, you can't just make more time. What you get is what you get, and you don't give a fit, like my kids say. If you're blessed, 
That's about 80 years. That's how much time you're going to get. That means that you get about 30,000 days. If you're 40, you already used half of them. I'm not trying to give you anxiety, but you only have 15,000 more days. I don't even know where last year went, right? Much less last week. But I somehow used 365 of my days last year. What did I use them for? This is how I give myself anxiety, by the way. (laughs) What we've got is what we got, and we get to decide how we use it. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus tells the story of a master and his money and three servants that he was going to give his money. Uh, give stewardship over his money. And it says to the first servant, he gave five talents. Talents was a currency. Five talents. To the second servant, he gave two talents. And to the third servant, he gave one talent. And then he went away on a trip. And it was up to them how they, what they did with the, the talents. He came back from his trip and he wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so he called them to himself. And the first servant said, Master, you gave me five I went and invested it, and I made five more. He doubled his return on investment. Here you go, master. Master said, good job, good and faithful servant. Next one came, said, master, you gave me two. I went and invested it. I got two more, doubled his return on investment. Here's your two plus another two. He says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. But the third one. He had only given him one talent. He came back and he said, Master, I was scared to lose it. And I knew you were strict. So I went and I buried it until you came back. I didn't make anything more, but here's your, here's your one talent. And the master doesn't have nice words for this guy. He doesn't say, oh, no, you know what, thank you, man. It's all right. You played it safe. He doesn't say that. He calls him a wicked and lazy servant. And what we see in this parable is that faithfulness in the kingdom of God does not mean sitting on what God has given us. I'm sympathetic to the third servant. Like, he was just playing it safe, dude. He was, he was scared. He was, he, was, he was being really careful, like our passage says, but he forgot about the urgency. Because playing it safe does not necessarily equal good stewardship. Faithfulness and good stewardship means investing what God has given you in an effort to multiply it. I don't think the master was mad because this dude didn't make him more money. I think he was mad because he didn't even try. God has given us a specific amount of currency by way of time. It is our job to invest in an effort to multiply it. But Dom, you just said you can't multiply time, bro. You can't get any more, remember? Days are not like dollars. You can't just get more. You're right. You can't multiply your time. And yet God wants us to multiply the investment. So how do we multiply it? By making disciples. Making disciples is the exponential return on your investment of time in the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. You want to multiply yourself, so to speak? Making disciples is the exponential return on your investment of time in the kingdom of God. You can't buy yourself time, but you sure as heck can multiply it by teaching others what Jesus has first taught you. The master has given each one of us days and decades. 
some five decades, all the people in their 20s say amen. Okay, there's nobody in their 20s in here? Wow. Amen. Some only two decades, all the old people say amen. (laughs) Some only one, all the real old people say amen. Okay. Some five decades, some two decades, some one decade, that's, the master has entrusted those to us, right? The question is, how will we use them? Two things, and I'll end with this. Um, I think there's some people in here today who you've probably wasted some time. Maybe you've wasted a lot of time. And the enemy would love nothing more than for you to come under condemnation about that and be like, he would say to you, you messed that up. You lost it. You lost it. You can never get it back. You can't redeem that time. If you're hearing a voice like that, you need to know that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the accuser. Um, The voice of God sounds something like, hey, the old things have passed away. Your old failures, your old wasted time. Behold, today everything is made brand new. The voice of God speaks and he liberates you to never have to waste another season again. You can't get back the years that you wasted. But God can, in some mysterious way, give you back what you lost in those years. God told his people in Joel chapter 2, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. But he didn't mean that I'm going to give you back those years. They're already gone. What he meant was I'm going to give to you what you lost in those years. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, you cannot have back your time. But there is a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings, the unripened fruits of years over which you mourned. The fruits of wasted years may yet be yours. It's not how you start, friend. It's how you end that matters. It's how you finish that matters. And if you've only got a little bit of time left, then it's all the more valuable. So all the more use it wisely. And lastly... I think there's some people in here who you've been kind of waiting around for everything to finally like fall into place and for you to be able to finally exhale. And once it does, you'll be like, ah, finally, then I'll be able to like really like invest my time in the kingdom. I just need to tell you today, that thing you're waiting for, it may never come. That, ah might not actually be a thing. Why do I know that? Because 1 Peter 2.11 reminds us that we are sojourners and pilgrims on the earth. This isn't our home. So you may never feel like, (sighs) by design, you may never really feel at rest. So that means you can either, again, keep counting down the days or choose to make the days count. God has put you where you are right now for a reason. He has planted you where you are right now for a reason. And some of you are like, I'm not even planted, dude. I feel like I'm on a semi and I'm a plant and I'm being taken somewhere else. I'm just waiting. Till I, you know, God has planted you on the semi. You can't change that. I'm always in transition. Yeah, maybe you're always going to be in transition. You can't change that. But what you can choose is if you bloom where God has planted you right now. And for all of us today, I think time is at the heart of the issue. If we redeem the sacred time and use it like it's sacred, I don't think we're going to be practicing sexual immorality or overworking because I think it's all going to kind of fall into place.
And sometimes when we hear sermons like this, we're like, okay, I just got to try harder. I just got to like do better. I just got to like use my time better. Just come on, just like pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, this kind of stuff is in order to show us, no, you can't do it. You're not good at it. Look at the stinking app of your life. You're like, you're already not good at it. What that means is that you need Jesus. That's what the, the, the law is. The commands are to show us. They're a schoolmaster to teach us that we need Jesus. You should be saying right now, I can't do it. I'm looking at the app of my life and I'm like, I can't do it. I already waste time. I already wait. Lord, I need you. God, I need you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I can't do this, God. I don't want to waste my life, Lord. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste today. And tomorrow, I don't want to waste tomorrow. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Amen? Amen. So would you close your eyes with me? And listen, if that is you and you're like, yeah, Dom, I don't want to waste my life, dude. I don't want to waste half of my days. I don't want to waste all of my days. I don't want to waste any of my days. If that's you today and you're like, Lord, I need your help. Can you just put your hands out in front of you as if you were receiving something? I feel like Jesus says this to us. He says, here, here you go. I'm giving you time. I'm giving you a specific amount of time. And it's all yours. You get to choose how you're going to use it. But remember, it's precious. It's sacred. It has great potential. But it's scarce. So use it wisely. Teach us, Lord, like it says in Psalm 90, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Help us to not just understand what your eternal will is, but for us to be about it. We ask right now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need to be led by your Spirit. We need you to show us like, hey, that thing is sucking your time away. And we need the grace to make the sacrifice of things that are maybe good but not divine. I want to say to the person who feels like you wasted time, come get prayer today. There are people on the right and the left. They love you. They already pray for you. They've been praying for you all weekend. They are here to pray for you. Come to them and say, dude, I need help. I don't want to waste the rest of the years of my life. I don't want to waste any more time. And if you're here and you're that person who's just waiting around, you're like, I'm just waiting for that thing to finally, if it just, I just finally, when everything kind of just calms down. And you're like, I can't waste. Today's the day. I really, I can't waste that. I don't want to waste waiting around. I want to use my days right now. Come and get prayer. These people want to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you can be led by the Spirit. And if you're here today and you're like, oh, dang, dude, I don't even know Jesus. I've been wasting my whole life, every moment of it. Today's the day, friend. Today's the day that you turn from your sin and you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash my sins away. I want to be reconciled. I want to be redeemed back to God. I want you to restore all of those things in my life. The prayer team on the right and the left, they would love to lead you to Jesus in that way. 
The carpets are here for us to take a posture of surrender. Come, be like, you need to surrender, guys. You need to surrender. I need to surrender. I was, I was in the back last service on my knees crying like, God, I don't want to waste time. I'm not trying to be legalistic and be like, everything I do has to be like a monk. That's not what I'm saying. But I want to use my, utilize my time in a way that is about what God is doing. Come get on your face today and surrender. And the communion elements are here, guys, to remember that Jesus started this. He started the redemption. He started the restoration process. It's for Christians today to come and seriously remember, oh, thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me back to the Father. Lord, our hearts are yours. We say you can have it. You can have our hearts, God. You can have our lives. You can have our lives. Just say out loud, church, you can have our lives. Say to him, help me. Say out loud, help me. Say out loud, I need your help. Say it again, I need your help. Brian, can we start with the chorus of the song? Church, let's sing this together.